Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to have you here. If you haven't met me, my name's Andy. It's a real honour and privilege to get to share with you all today. I hope everyone's enjoying the long weekend. I love a good long weekend. Um, I have all these grand plans, or I have no grand plans. It's usually one of those extremes. Nothing in between. And here we are a week after Pentecost. If you were here last week, Ryan shared a really inspiring and hopeful message about Pentecost, shared from Ezekiel regarding the valley of the dry bones and how the Spirit breathed life onto us. And of course, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes and visits us and and empowered the church. To me, it's almost the church's birthday. And one of the things that Ryan said, and 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 I've been sitting with this for for the last week, is that the last thing we need as a church when it comes to the Holy Spirit is is hype and and the the drumming up of it. And uh, I couldn't agree more. And, And it made... It just made me ponder about the Holy Spirit over this week and leading up to Pentecost. And we often live in an age of hype and embellishment. We always want more. I want more edible flowers on my brunch. I want more content to consume on Netflix and Stan and Paramount Plus and Disney Plus and KO and... Oh, look, I could go on. We'd be here till 12 o'clock. Uh, we want, we just want more. And I think, and in this age, the Holy Spirit can fall prey to that in that way that we just want more. We want it to be grander. We want it to be bigger. We want to embellish it, which is all good. We all want more of the Spirit. That's not a bad thing. But I think what can happen in that desire, in that drumming up of, of hype is that we can chase an experience or a phenomenon and not the spirit itself. And what gets lost underneath is that the simple truth of the Holy Spirit is here. It's foundational to the functioning of our faith. So today we'd like to share the functions of the Holy Spirit and how it works in our everyday lives and what it means for us. If you saw Red's socials this week, there was a scripture from Ephesians 1, chapter 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be sealed? If you can see it, I I have a wedding ring. This is the seal of a wedding day, about four years ago now. Yeah, four years ago now. I got married the same day as Megan and Harry. Thank you, guys. I'll never forget my wedding day. Um, But the wedding ring is, it's like a seal of a moment that happened, but the marriage is ongoing. But I look back on this and think, that day, something changed, I'm marked. Or it's when you graduate, all those years of hard work and toil, you get, you get your, your piece of paper with a seal, you're sealed. This qualifies you moving on. 
It marks a moment, but you carry with you. Or perhaps when your team wins the cup, flag, premiership, you, you, know, you wear a cap or you wear a T-shirt that says, you know, Premiers 2022. I go for the Essendon Football Club, so I don't know what that's like. <sighs> anyway, moments passed. And for me, I feel Pentecost is like the wedding day of the church when Christ came for his bride, which is us, the church. And the Holy Spirit is that wedding ring. It's the seal that reminds us of the commitment that Christ made to us and we made to him. And the function of the Holy Spirit is that ongoing marriage between Christ and his church. And one of the first and foundational ways that the Spirit functions in that, like a, like a post-wedding, is there's an increased intimacy. In John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. You will see me. Because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, I've done a bit of reading, I've read the Bible, I've read a few things around the Bible. I've, in, I've, I've identified a condition that I think plagues us all. And I've marked it post-Pentecostal snobbery. And we've all done it. We all read, uh, especially leading up to Christ's death and uh, resurrection and arrest. We look at the disciples and go, oh, why did you do that? I wouldn't have done that. Oh, don't they get it? They just, they just seem so daft. And we, we've all done it. We all kind of think, why don't they seem to just click? And what I've realized is that it's so easy to look back and, and, and you know, leading up to that moment, it's very easy to kind of, kind of throw shade at the disciples. I think we all like to do it. But I realized that the reason why and what makes us, it irks us, is that they weren't filled with the Spirit yet. They didn't have the privilege of having Christ in us that we do, that we've taken, I know, I've taken for granted a lot and realised we live in an age where the Spirit is here within us. And eventually they, they got to experience that. These are men who live their life with Christ for a number of years. They shared experiences. They, they lived the life, the highs, the lows, waking moments, tireless nights, meals, conversations, jokes, lots of love, lots of tears, maybe a bit of tension. They knew what it was like to be with Jesus. And I couldn't imagine the joy on Pentecost as just the Spirit entered them and for, I feel like for them it would have been, Jesus is here. 
he's not, I can't see him, but I know he's here with us. I feel his presence. I feel his love like he loved us when he was here with us. The Jesus they loved and adored, who they did life with, now resided within them 24-7. I think if we sat down, Peter, John, Andrew, they would tell us, yeah, it was amazing to see, the privilege to see Christ, God on earth, do his thing. But you know what? Having the spirit of God within me, having the Holy Spirit of Christ, it's better. He's here and he'll never leave me. He'll never leave me. It's like a marriage. We're one flesh now. Christ is in me and I am in him. It would have been the most joyous thing. We see this transformation. It's a clear shift post-Pentecost. A man who runs away and denies and lobs off ears is an absolute firebrand for the church. He founds the church that one day of Pentecost. It's safe to say that in that moment, as if they knew Christ intimately, they understood all the parables, why he came, why he died. It made sense to them now. It just clicked. It's like a light bulb, but we'll cover that later. On Pentecost, the presence of God moved from the temple to us, and the Holy Spirit makes that possible, and he still does. So the exciting thing is, is that we simply pursue Jesus, we pursue the Holy Spirit. It, it, it comes hand in hand. Mike Pilavachi says in his book, Everyday Supernatural, that the key to living a life full of supernatural power is to understand the power is in the presence. As we are close to Jesus, so we will see him move in us and through us. The power is in the presence and his presence is in us. We sometimes, I know, I get a bit anxious or, or worried that am I, am I experiencing the Holy Spirit in my life? Is there power flowing through me? Is, is God doing something? And it's as simple as following Jesus because the power of his presence is there. It can be found in, in Jesus' presence in your life, in your heart. 24-7. As he said in John, he'll never leave you. He will not leave you as an orphan. And beyond that, that intimacy between Christ and you is a unity between us and the church. In Galatians, Paul writes, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, we'll show that a bit later. And as he says to keep in step with the Spirit, the Greek for step is, I'm going to butcher it, is stocheo. I'll say it try and that. Stocheo. And it means to proceed in a row as in the march of a soldier. So it's not just simply going for a walk, strolling. Every day during COVID, going for a walk but it's actually an ordered march in time, in step with everyone around you. When I was a teenager, I used to do uh, air cadets. Bit nerdy, wear the uniform, the funny cap, the tie. It's kind of fun. 
But one of the things that you have to do is march, and you have to learn how to march. It's a bit tricky. You think, how hard can walking be? It's one foot in front of the other, right? But as soon as you have to walk with 10 other people in time, in step, in sync, listening to the left, right, left, it's so hard. And you get frustrated yourself. You get frustrated at the person in front of you who doesn't know their left from right. They just keep kicking their heels. It's just like, come on. It's actually tricky to march in time. It's near impossible when you don't have someone instructing you, giving you a beat, a rhythm. Um, again, as I said, I, 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 do, I do follow the Essendon Football Club, and that means I get to go to the Anzac matches. And it's really amazing to watch the pregame ceremony when the soldiers march in time to the beat of the drum. And I think of the church. It's so diverse. It's one of the most oldest institutions that we have currently on the planet. And it, it crosses cultures, nations, tribes, tongues, ideologies, languages. Honestly, it should have fallen apart years ago. This eclectic mix, even the disciples, 12 people of such diverse backgrounds, zealots, tax collectors, tradies. How, how does the church endure? It's only by his spirit. Scripture tells us that we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And as we march together, the spirit keeps us in time. It's like the drumbeat that we all march to together. As we do life together, as we struggle together, as we cry and laugh together, the Holy Spirit's there keeping tempo, one foot in front of the other. If we are members of one body, that is the church, then the Holy Spirit, it's like the heartbeat, and it pushes all that life force through all the members, keeping us going, giving us that life source. Without the Spirit, the church wouldn't exist. It wouldn't endure like it does and will continue to endure until Christ's return. We are living stones of the church and the Holy Spirit, it's like the mortar that holds us all together. When you see most old churches, there's a lot of different shapes of stones and it's amazing that they're all held together with all that mortar but it creates a cohesive shape. It's what the Holy Spirit does for us. We can bring ourselves as we are into the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit puts us into place. It's really encouraging to know that we can rely on the Holy Spirit to keep the church unified. And the world needs the church filled with the Spirit, filled with unity. When Ryan shared about uh, dry bones, it, it reminded me of, and I'm, I'm sure he did touch on this, on creation, on when life was first breathed into man, the ruach of his spirit, as he said. The, the, the Holy Spirit's like a wind, like a breath. For me, Pentecost mirrors that as well, when life was first like, ruached into the church and the flames began. 
as I said, it was like a light bulb moment for the disciples. All that teaching about seeds and planting and vineyards and all the questions about living bread and I don't get this. It, it all made sense to them. They understood it. Like I said, they just got it in that moment. And on that day of Pentecost, as the church grew and, and we see this shift, I think a lot of those watching who, who probably may have been a part of the church leading up to it would have seen the disciples and would have seen those believers and thought, it's like we're looking at Christ again. He's not here, but they're talking like Christ. They're loving like Christ. They're behaving like Christ. It's like we're looking at him. And in a way, they were. Coriton Boom was a Dutch theologian. Her and her family during World War II hid um, Jewish families from the Nazis. Eventually they were captured and they were um, sent to a concentration camp. Only she survived out of her family and uh, beyond World War II um, became a very, um, very revered theologian and preacher. And she shares a very, very con- like, raw story about a time when she was sharing and um, she noticed someone in the crowd. I'd love to um, just share some of this story with you. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and visit cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins were at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. For a line, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins every day had to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. 
that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. And I still stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. Curry goes on to say on forgiveness that, and having thus learned to forgive in the hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned in 80 years of age is that I can't store up good feelings and behaviour, but draw them fresh from God each day. One of the other things that she comments on was that she said she was never able to forgive, but God can. It's like we go back to those disciples, the shift in behaviour, the shift in their life, acting like Jesus, talking like Jesus. I think a peculiar occurrence happens when you have life in the spirit. You begin to do things that Jesus did. Your actions echo his. Even when there's struggle, tension, you don't feel like it. Imagine having to forgive someone like that in your own strength, in your own heart. It'd be nigh impossible You'd need the heart of Christ for that. And when you begin to do that, when you begin to have his heart, see things the way he does, pray for people you normally think you wouldn't pray for. It's almost like you're embodying Christ. And you know what? Maybe it's because you are. We often say that the Holy Spirit can be associated with, with the warm fuzzies and you know, it's a, mostly it's a positive thing and it's a lovely experience and it, and it can be. But as we learnt from Corey, often the Spirit empowers us in confrontational ways. It can be very uncomfortable. It can be very challenging. The call to be like Christ. As God breathes life in us, the Spirit breathes life into the world. Jesus in his time was countercultural. So were the disciples, and so are you. When the Spirit is inside you, we live a life that is at ends with most of the world. Because we live in a world that's governed by sin and death, separation. And this is why the world needs the church full of spirit. It needs 
Christians animated by his spirit, becoming like Christ. He compels to bring us life just like Christ did. When we bring his presence, when we embody Christ through the spirit, we're bringing life into a world full of death. Maybe literally, but also in situations that are dying, situations that are decaying, situations that are suffering from separation. We are to be his hands and feet, his eyes, his ears, his mouth, his heart, into a world that desperately needs Jesus. And when the Spirit is calling you, it could be dramatic, it could be subtle. If you decided this morning to come, even if you didn't feel like it, but you knew that you needed to come, congratulations, the Holy Spirit is working in you. It could be as dramatic as seeing someone healed. It could be as subtle as saying, maybe I should call my dad. Maybe I should give that workmate some flowers. Maybe I should confess to a friend. Or maybe I should challenge a friend on their behavior. Some of these things aren't comfortable to do, but we know when Christ is in us, we know it's the right thing to do because it brings life. It brings change. Imagine if Corrie refused to forgive and missed out on this experience of Christ's love that, that just surpasses death. So I want to summarize. We covered three functions. We covered intimacy, unity, and animation. Intimacy, as it says in John, Christ wants to, is coming into you. He is in you. When we're together in unity through the Spirit, it's Christ in us. And when the Holy Spirit animates us, it's Christ through us. My prayer for you today is that as you let that sit in your heart, you are letting the Spirit work for your life. The Spirit can be confusing. There's a lot of confliction about it, a lot of different opinions. You might come from a background where I need to feel it to know that it's going on. You might never have experienced the Holy Spirit in ways that others have mentioned it to you. But I want to encourage you, there is a function for it. There is a need for it. Intimacy, unity, and animation. Christ wants to be in you, he wants to be in us, and he wants to be through us to this world. As I call the band up, I've got a poem slash prayer that was written 500 plus years ago by Teresa of Avila. And I think it summarizes what the Holy Spirit is here for us and what it's here for. And I want you to just see these words. I'm going to read them over you in a moment. 
because my prayer for us today and for the church is that this is what we embody and this is what we can ask the Spirit for. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours.